Uh, Revelation 11, uh, verses 15 to 19, this is the word of the Lord. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worship God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the, de- uh, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and heavy hail. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we, uh, we thank you for your holy word, and we uh, uh, Pray that you would uh, be our teacher. Now send your Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds, to understand these words from Revelation 11 and apply them into our lives so that we uh, would turn to you in faith, that our hearts would trust you and our lives would obey you. And uh, we long for you uh, you to be in every part of who we are. And so be our, our teacher now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in our final Sunday looking at Revelation this, sum, uh, this summer. I'm actually, this is a little shorter sermon because uh, we, don't have, uh, we don't have child care this, this morning. Lots of kids at the campsite. Uh, I just came back from camping, was with the church uh, camping. Hope next summer uh, we will have it planned earlier and you can come and, and camp if you're a camping type person. We had a, a small group but a, a sweet time together. Um, and we worshiped uh, down at the campsite at 8.30 this morning, and, uh, and this uh, passage from Revelation 11, it's, it's one of my favorites uh, from Revelation. It's when, when I uh, think of the book of Revelation, this passage is the one that, that summarizes for me what Revelation is about, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to explaining uh, that to you this morning, uh, but before we jump into it, let me, let me give you a, an, an illustration. Uh, my children uh, have a favorite card game called Mao. And I don't know if you played Mao before, but uh, the, the premise of Mao is that uh, if you're playing for the first time, they don't tell you what the rules of the game are. And so you just come into the game and you're just doing things, not really sure what we're doing. And so, you know, you'll put a card down or you'll say something and they'll say, oh, failure to do this, penalty. Failure to do this, penalty. And you're just getting penalized, penalized, and you're trying to figure out what the rules are by the penalties that you're getting. And uh, my kids played this with their grandpa, and he was very disoriented, not knowing, what, what are we doing? Why do I keep getting penalized? And I think Mao is very similar to what life is like. You know, you just are born into this world. You know, you, you come out of the womb into the world. You don't know what the rules are. You don't know what the game is. What, you didn't ask to play this game. And so you go through life, penalized, failure to do this, failure to do this, penalized, penalized. And the fact is you're often playing the game of life with a lot of other people who really don't know what the rules are or what game we're playing. Why are we even here? What is the purpose of all this? What is this world here for? Well, uh, the Bible is 
the creator of the game's gift to us to say, I want to tell you what game you're playing. Or another way to say it is maybe to say, I want to tell you what story you're a part of. Another way to think of it is that we're all characters in a story, and we just showed up halfway through the story, the story of human history. And we don't know what's come before, and we don't know what's coming after, and we don't know how to play our part as characters in this story. And so the author of the story says, let me tell you the story that you're a part of. That's what Revelation is all about, telling us the game we're playing and the story that we are characters in. And there's one theme that I think as Christians is a key theme to the game that we're playing that is really important for us to, to kind of situate ourselves. And, uh, and it's, uh, this, this theme is what theologians have called the already and the not yet. We're living in a story of the already and the not yet. And what I mean by the already and not yet is that God's kingdom has already come. Jesus has conquered sin, death, and the devil. He's ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand. He's been given all authority in heaven and earth. The kingdom of God has been established. He's won the decisive victory. And yet, the kingdom has not come. We're still suffering. There's still death. There's still sin. It doesn't feel like God's kingdom is here. And so we live in this tension. And some of you feel that in your own life. You say, you know, I became a Christian. I, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and all my sins were forgiven. And many things deeply changed about who I was and how I lived my life and, and what was important to me. And yet, maybe you've been a Christian for decades and you say there's still these sins, that, these besetting sins that have been haunting me. And so in some ways, I'm a new creation. The kingdom has come in my life and in some ways it hasn't. It's already and not yet. That's the, already, that's the experience of the already and not yet. So this morning I want to explain this important piece of theology, the already and the not yet, by, by looking at Revelation 11 and answering two simple questions for us. First, what is the already and not yet? And second, why does it matter? Two questions for us. What is the already and the not yet? And second, why uh, does it matter? And I, I think there's... Important insights from this little passage here in Revelation 11. So two questions for us this morning. And the first is this. What is the already and not yet? Now, the, uh, the reason I think this passage is about this topic is because of verse 15 there. You see verse 15 says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Certainly, this is the key verse. When I said I, th I think this is what Revelation is about, it's about the kingdoms of the world becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. But this passage has always confused me because uh, it says that the kingdom of the world has become, past tense, the kingdom of the world has already become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And uh, I always felt like this verse should be saying the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. That's going to happen sometime in the future. And yet here it is in the past tense. Has that happened? Has the kingdom of the world already become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ? Well, most of us would say it really doesn't feel like it. And yet... We have other places in the Bible where Jesus says things like, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He has all authority in heaven and earth now? That sounds like the kingdom has come. 
uh, it does sound like the kingdoms of the world have become his, uh, have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Or in Colossians, it says this about Jesus' death on the cross. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. So all the rulers and authorities of the world, Jesus already triumphed over them. He says to his disciples in John 16, take heart, I have overcome the world. Or other verses in this passage, you look at verse 18 where it says, the nations raged, but your wrath came. And most, most of us, when you think of God's wrath coming, what, it, what does that mean? Well, we think of, well, there's a final judgment that's coming in the future. Doesn't ra- God's wrath come in judgment? Well, Romans uh, 1 says that the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness. The wrath of God has already come. Or when uh, this verse goes on and says, and the time for the dead to be judged. You might think, when are the dead going to be judged? The judgment is at the end of the world. But Jesus says in John, right before he goes to the cross, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. It says all of these things. The, the, uh, and, and then at the end of this verse, it says in verse 19, then God's temple in heaven was opened. When was God's temple in heaven open? It's when Jesus died on the cross and the, you know, the, the veil was torn in the temple. And, and Jesus has made access to God's presence in the temple. And so maybe the kingdom of the world has already become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. But then there are things that are still to come in the future. You know, in the middle of verse 18, it says, And for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Jesus says that his disciples will be rewarded when he returns at the resurrection of the just. That is in the future and in the age to to come. And there is wrath and judgment against evil coming in the future. So has the kingdom come or hasn't it? Well, let me give you an illustration of of how I think this works. Um, You know, in World War II... The decisive battle, it's probably the most famous battle of World War II, was the, the landing at Normandy on, in, uh, when the Allies uh, invaded France. And that victory in June of 1944 was a decisive victory uh, in, in the war. And it began the liberation of the French and really the liberation of Western Europe. And yet, the victory when the war was over didn't happen for a year later. In, uh, in May uh, 1945, when V-Day, so you have D-Day, was the decisive, decisive victory in June 1944, and then it wasn't until May 1945 that you actually had Victory Day. And then even after Victory Day, you had all kinds of Nazis that were hiding out through Europe. They had to go, you got to go find them and root them out. And so that's exactly what's happened in the gospel, is the king of the world has come. He's invaded the kingdom of this world. And he's won the decisive victory against sin, death, and the devil when he died on the cross and he was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And yet, this is the way that uh, 1 Corinthians 15 puts it. It says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Listen to this. So Christ the firstfruits, so Christ was raised from the dead first, 
And then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, and after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And so what's happened at the cross is Jesus won the decisive victory. He said, this world is mine. And now he's sending us all out until he puts all of his enemies under his feet and he delivers the kingdom to his Father in the future. So has the kingdom come? It's already and it's not yet. So that's what the already and the not yet is. And uh, Jesus won the decisive victory, but the kingdom has not yet come in its fullness. So that's the theology. But that leads to a second question. We understand the already and the not yet, but why does it matter? How does that affect how we live our Christian lives? Why does the already and not yet matter? And I want to give three answers to that question, okay? The first answer is, that the not yet assures us that the world is still broken. The not yet assures us that the world is still broken. And that's something that we have to kind of internalize and accept and embrace as, as Christians. And you don't see that so much in this passage, but in the context of this passage, we have to remember that this passage is about the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ comes in the context of Revelation where there's all kinds of chaos, there's all kinds of suffering, there's death and there's plagues and, you know, there's all kinds of conflict and, and divisions that are happening. And the reason this is important because sometimes Christians don't appreciate enough how not yet our experience is. You know, maybe some of you have experienced that. You're facing a particularly hard trial and you want to share it with a Christian and so you share it with a Christian brother or sister, and they say, well, God loves you. And, you know, he's, he's in control, and the kingdom's come. And all of those things are true. And yet, for some reason, you, you sense, or maybe you hear them say it to someone else, and you say, I don't think that was quite the right thing that needed to be said in that moment. What needed to be experienced in that moment was the kingdom is not yet here. There is a sadness. There is a grieving. There is a trial in the fact that God's kingdom is not established, that Jesus is on the throne in heaven, and we're not experiencing that yet. And so the Bible doesn't just pretend like everything's all right. The Bible tells us to, what does the Bible tell us to do when someone's weeping? Weep with those who weep. Feel the not yetness with the person who's feeling that the kingdom is not yet here. And if you are in a situation in life where you say, why is this happening to me? If I'm God's beloved child and Jesus has begun to reign, why am I experiencing such hardship and trial and disappointment in my life? The answer is, you are experiencing the not yet. The kingdom is not yet here. So why does it matter? First of all, it faces the honesty of the brokenness of the world and the brokenness we still experience even when we become God's children as Christians, okay? But that's held in tension well, the second reason why this matters is that the already assures us that God is in control. The already assures us that God is in control. And this passage is right in the middle of all the chaos of Revelation. I mean, you've been reading, we've been reading Revelation together. And some of those passages, you say, wow, this is, sounds all brutal. And yet right in the middle of that, we read these words in verse 17. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, 
for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. And the early Christians needed to hear these words. You know, they had all kinds of trials they were facing from outside, pressure from the outside of the church. And then they had divisions on the inside. They had their own sin inside the church that they were dealing with. And these words say God is still in control. You might feel all kinds of evil and suffering in the world. It doesn't mean that evil is running wild and has its way. This is God's world. This is Christ's world. He has all authority in heaven and earth. And I wonder how many of us, whatever you're facing right now, praying this prayer with these angels that are in heaven, hear these words. We give thanks to you. In the midst of the not yet, Lord, I give you thanks. In the midst of the not yet, you are the Almighty. You are the one uh, who is and was. You, you, are, you are unchanging. And I believe that you are on the throne and you are reigning. And I will trust you. When you're facing trials and the brokenness of the world, those trials are going to challenge the truth. Is God really in control? Does God really care about us? Is our Savior the one who's been given all authority? Um, or are we going to be able to say, I believe that the story that I'm living in is a story that's written by God. And you can see here that there's kind of two ditches to fall off of in how we think of the already and the not yet. Because some of you might be like, you know, I'm a very compassionate person. And when someone's struggling, I just like to get into the struggle and I feel it with you. And so you just grieve and you mourn with them. But you would never say to them, and you need to trust God. God is with you. You need to obey God through this. I'm both with you, I'm going to weep with you, and I'm going to call you to say, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to keep walking with you. I'm not going to deny you, I'm not going to harden. My, harden. And then some of you might be like, you don't like hearing about pain. And so as soon as you hear about pain, it's like, here's the promise. Here's, you know, God's faithful, God's sufficient, trust in him, just be obedient, keep grinding it out. And you might say, why is that, that you don't want to hear the pain? You don't want to weep with them. You don't want to wait, be slow to speak with an answer, a band-aid to try to fix this wound. And so we need both of these things. This, uh, the, the already and the not yet holds these things, two things together. So it's immensely practical. It's how we approach one another in caring for each other. But I think there's a third reason why this matters. Okay, so on the one hand, it, it, the not yet assures us the world's still broken. We need to feel that pain. It, the already assures us God is in control. We can trust him. But what the already and not yet together tell us is that one day all things will be made right. It's the incredible, profound truth of the Christian that human life will be healed in Jesus Christ. Sin and sorrow will be no more. And, and so we, when we get to the end of Revelation, we're going to get this great picture of every tear being wiped away in the new creation. And, uh, and you see it, though, in this passage. I love the words, the second part of verse 15 there, where it says, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. I love that phrase, that Jesus comes to destroy the destroyers of the earth. And I think about what are the things that bring destruction into the lives of human beings that one day will be no more? What are the things that have brought destruction into your life? Addictions, lust, broken relationships, wicked people, 
violence, abuse, betrayal. Jesus is the destroyer of destruction. And there's one, there will be a day where the things that cause destruction in our lives will be no more. And I love how this verse puts it. It says, for both the small and the great. I love how they put that in there. And who's first? The small. And you think there's, you know, there are wars that happen in the world. There's huge conflicts. There's these political divisions that happen in our world. And then you think about little old me. And, you know, no one maybe even knows the suffering that I'm experiencing, the stress that I'm experiencing, the fears that I'm experiencing, the abuse that I've experienced. No one even knows it. And God's priority says my first priority is for the small, the individual, that no one else cares about, that God sees and God hears. He says, for you, there will be healing and relief. And the already and not yet says, we are longing for that day. Lord, bring it. And so this tension of the already and not yet, this is the experience of the Christian life. And if you feel some of that ambivalence, I feel in some ways like my life is full and new, and yet I also feel like it's not yet what it should be, that's exactly how you should feel. That's what the Bible says you should feel. That's what theology says you should feel is already and not yet. And so we have to understand it theologically, but we also have to understand how it shapes our minds so that we can grieve with one another and know that the world is still broken. We can trust that God is in control and together encourage one another that the day is coming when he will make all things right. And Lord Jesus, come and may it be soon. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we, we thank you for these incredible words. That it is your purpose to establish your kingdom in the earth. And Lord, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness, out of the kingdom of darkness. And you've transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Lord, we thank you for the ways that we already experience your great love and it's, it's precious to us. And yet, Lord, we pray that you would give us endurance that your kingdom is not yet here. And we must trust you as, as we suffer, as we shed tears. Help us to weep with those who weep. Help us to encourage one another to trust you and, and to gently lay the promises before one another. Give us hearts of compassion. And Lord, uh, we pray that you'd come soon. Um, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.